everybody, and uh, welcome to the Rupa Subramania show. I am Rupa Subramania. Today, I have a very special guest with me. I've been wanting to get her on the show for a very long time, and finally the stars aligned. Today, we have Tamara Leach. She needs no introduction, of course. I will just say that I first met Tamara in the very early days of the Freedom Convoy protests last winter here in Ottawa, and I was struck by her sincerity, warmth, honesty, and her commitment to the cause of individual freedom and liberty. We'll be talking about all of this and much more with Tamara today on the show. Uh, it's my privilege to welcome Tamara to the show. Tamara, it's great to finally have you on the show. I've been dying to get you on the show, as you know, and uh, you know, there's just so much to talk about. So why don't we just jump right in? Uh, I'm going to start with this first question. I'm, uh, you know, I'm thinking back to this very first weekend of the uh, protests, um, the Freedom Convoy protests uh, that took place here in Ottawa, uh, and I walked around for hours speaking to the truckers and the protesters, and I immediately realized my first impression was that our establishment politicians and uh, and 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 people in the legacy media establishment had completely missed the significance of this event. Uh, we now know it was a pivotal cultural moment in our peacetime history. Uh, tell me, Tamara, that first weekend, did you realize uh, just how big this was going to be? Or were you surprised how big it became in Canada and worldwide? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. It's a real honor to be here. I'm a huge fan. Um, yeah, we we didn't, when we first started organizing this, we had no idea the magnitude and the reach that and the support that we were going to receive. Uh, I believe I alluded to it in my testimony. I mean, when I started the GoFundMe, I, I just assumed, you know, I had uh, about $20,000 kind of in my head as, you know, what I thought we could raise, which would give, you know, Chris and Bridget and some truckers enough gas to get to Parliament, stand there with their signs and get in their trucks and come home. So uh, it, it very rapidly, as the donations started pouring in, and um, the activity that we were getting on our social media is when I, I became aware that this was turning into a big deal, but we were not expecting that at all. So you, your your initial like you were initially expecting that this would be a um, you know a small number of people um, gathered on Parliament Hill, a few trucks would drive by, and then leave like by the end of the day, basically, and make their point and just leave. Was that was that what you were expecting initially? Initially, yeah, yeah. That's very much what I had what, what I had thought. So, you know, yeah. I, I, we, we did not see that coming. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what 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 happened? Like what 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 changed? Why? Why did why did why did it become as big as it did? Well, I believe that of a large part of that had to do with the mandates. Um, two years of having carrots dangled in front of us. And then, uh, for example, here in my home province, Jason Kenney, who was the premier at the time, was going to let us open up for summer, you know, mm. uh, and then and then they imposed the mandates again. So I think I'll, t I'll tell you what my experience has been from the very beginning of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I spoke to a lot of people across the entire spectrum, like from whether you were on the side where you thought COVID was going to kill us all to where they thought that COVID didn't even exist. I mean, there was a whole spectrum there, but everybody said the same thing to me. And that was that something doesn't feel right. And so 
I think it was a culmination of a lot of the restrictions, a lot of weird policies that didn't make sense to a lot of people. Um, you know, being locked up in their homes, told that your parents can't come and visit you. It, it was honestly a perfect storm and it just culminated into this one big moment. Yeah. What was your first day in Ottawa like, uh, the, your first day of the protests? What, what were your initial impressions? Uh, well, when we first pulled up on the hill, I was astonished at the number of people that were there already. I mean, there was thousands of people there when we pulled up on the hill. Um, and I didn't know what to expect. I was really busy in those first few days because we were dealing a lot with GoFundMe at that point. Mm -hmm. So I found myself in a lot of meetings um, with the legal team and um, our accountant and uh, GoFundMe and my finance committee at the time. Because if you recall, as the donations started pouring in, I struck a finance committee to help you know, manage that money to make sure that everything was going to be transparent and that we were going to be accountable. Because for me, it was a big deal that my name was on the GoFundMe and it was important to me that people got a sense of who I was and, and trusted that we would make sure that their donations ended up where they intended it to go. So the first few days was, was I was in a lot of meetings. I did get up to the hill on the first Sunday that we were there and I did a little speech uh, with the clan mothers, but the first few days I was in, in a lot of meetings. Yeah, uh, I mean, and so, you know, I mean, obviously, I, you know, I've written about the protests uh, quite a bit. And, uh, you know, my initial expectation was that, you know, it would be done by the end of the weekend. But, uh, but, you know, but as the week rolled in, you know, I, it was very clear that, you know, they were not going anywhere till uh, their demands had been met, which is basically, you know, get rid of the vaccine mandates and uh, and 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 get rid of lockdowns and uh, and that sort and other restrictions. Um, what what did the protests tell you about Canada? Uh, for a lot of us, it took us by surprise. I mean, well, Canadians are seen as mild mannered and generally compliant and uh, and so on. But uh, but this the pro these protests, um, you know, said something different about the country. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I've thought a lot about this, honestly, and what I've came away with is that the Canadian spirit is alive and well. I've never experienced anything like that in my lifetime as far as a show of unity. And you nailed it at the beginning. You know, it didn't matter what color you were. It didn't matter what God you worshipped. It didn't matter where you lived in Canada. It didn't matter what your income bracket was. It was people coming together, taking care of each other, hugging strangers on overpasses and in the streets of Ottawa and, and healing. And, and it really proved to me that the Canadian spirit is alive and well, and it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Yeah, no, that was, uh, that was pretty striking to me as well. Um, and uh, for a lot of people who uh, experienced the protests uh, from, you know, either by being here in Ottawa or, uh, or you know, or viewing it from a distance. Um, looking back at the, the terrible way that things ended up last winter with the Prime Minister, uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau invoking the Emergencies Act. Uh, looking back, do you think there might have been any other way that things could have worked out differently? Uh, for a while, it looked as if... Uh, you know, it would end without the government invoking these dr 
invoking these draconian powers. Uh, but we now know that's not what happened. Could things have ended differently? Well, this is another thing I've thought of, um, obviously, quite a bit. I, I don't know. I mean, we got the sense there that we were constantly being provoked. And we had a real feeling that he was pushing for violence or for us to fight back or just a reason for him to justify his actions. You know, it started um, with the raid at Coventry when they started taking people's fuel and food and firewood. And then it went to, we're going to come and take your animals away. And then it went to, we're going to come and get your children. And it just really felt like they were constantly trying to provoke a fight. And again, going back to the Canadian spirit, I mean, I came home and sat on my couch and bawled for two days when I watched the footage of what happened after they invoked the act and after I was arrested, because even in the face of that, I mean, you have all these different police forces from all over the country dressed in full tactical gear with assault rifles and these great big armored vehicles, um, total overkill. And I didn't hear so much as one protester use a swear word when they were confronted with that. You know, they were still asking them to resolve this peacefully. Um, so, so to go back to your question, I, I had a lot of hope when we started negotiations with the city. We had a lot of forward momentum and we were we were committed to seeing that plan through. We we agreed as a board to go out and, and discuss the plan with all the truckers and the supporters because, you know, this wasn't our movement. This wasn't Tamara Leach's movement or Chris Barber's movement or even the board of directors movement. I mean, it was always important to us to have input. And uh, so I felt like that was a really great first step and that maybe that there was hope. But looking back, I mean, Trudeau was never going to talk to us. He backed himself into a corner because he came out of the gate calling us racists and misogynists and white supremacists and a fringe minority. Um, so I don't know how it, it, it's a shame that it ended the way that it did. And a lot of people will say to me that it's too bad that it ended the way that it did. And my response is always, it is too bad. But unfortunately, that is the reality of the country that we're living in. It isn't unicorns and rainbows like we're told. There's there's serious problems here. Mm -hmm. um, hypothetically speaking, if the prime minister had reached out to the protesters, had reached out to um, the the core um, um, organizing group. So that would have been you and uh, Benjamin Dichter, Chris Barber. Uh, what would what would that conversation have gone like? Well, I honestly, none of us were too interested in speaking with the prime minister. Um, we would have gladly spoken to any anybody else, I guess. And if that was the option, then we would have taken it. I, I feel that if they would have shown any type of good faith to open up a dialogue with us that we would have seriously discussed leaving. And the reason I say that is because we'd already been there for three weeks. We were tired. People were away from their families. They were away from their jobs. So I think if we could have just had some kind of um, dialogue or even you know an expression of interest in hearing what we had to say that that could have changed the outcome drastically yeah 
Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think, I mean, one of the, one of the, one of the things that I kept pointing out is that why is there no meaningful dialogue taking place? And as far as I was concerned, I know the, uh, the protesters, many of the protesters wanted the prime minister to address them and, 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 you know, and, and reach out to them and, you know, they, and think, and they felt that it would have been, it would have definitely made things, um, uh, you know, easier, I, I think, um, uh, uh, but but that, of course, never ended up happening. Instead, the prime minister uh, just uh, kept smearing the protesters and uh, made, which uh, is, yeah. Which is really ironic because um, if you recall in early 2020, there was a group or a bunch of groups of uh, people that were that were blockading railways and um, and they were predominantly First Nations. And this went on for two months. You know, uh, the economy was impacted. I think CP Rail laid off about a thousand workers. The ferries um, in BC were affected. Grocery stores were empty. Shelves were empty. And he kept saying at that time that it was important to have dialogue. So what this really showed us right off the bat is it really had nothing to do with maybe how Canadians felt, but it, it was political right from the start. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, there was def it, this was definitely political, and I don't think uh, there was uh, any uh, good faith uh, effort made to uh, really reach out to the protesters. And there is um, a certain amount, element of hypocrisy here, obviously, because the prime minister supports protests elsewhere in the world, and he encourages other world leaders to uh, to dialogue with protesters in those countries, but he failed to do so. Uh, when it came to the Freedom Convoy protest. That much is uh, very, very clear. Um, just moving on, Tamara, uh, it became very clear after the emergency that you were specifically being targeted as one of the organizers uh, and, and one of the most visible faces of the protest. Uh, you, you were arrested, of course, uh, and you were waiting in jail until bail could be arranged, and this happened more than once. Um, you know, it was uh, striking that hardened criminals in this country who've committed heinous crimes uh, are treated in some ways better than you were. Uh, I have many well-known lawyers, um, uh, including those that have come on my show, uh, called out how you were treated by the authorities. Um, how did you muster the courage and inner strength to see yourself through this very difficult time? Do you, uh, did you feel a sense of anger about how you were treated? Um, you know, has it shaken your faith in the justice system? Uh, it certainly did shake mine and a bunch of other people who uh, commented on what was happening to you while you were in jail. Well, I mean, I've been paying attention um, for a while now, and so I didn't have any faith in the justice system. <laughs> I don't believe Canada actually has a justice system. <laughs> we have a legal system, and there's a big difference. Um, no, I, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do that video the night before that I was arrested. You know, I was emotional. It was a very emotional day. Um, people were leaving and we were encouraging, you know, them to go because they were scared. And, um, but we, there was some tough goodbyes said that day. And, um, I just wanted people to know that I wasn't afraid. I, I didn't want them to feel like this was something I couldn't handle. And I've said it a million times and I'll say it again. I've felt right from the beginning that this whole thing was, was guided and protected by some kind of higher power, whatever you choose to believe in. And, you know, along the way, 
so many things were exposed. I mean, look at what happened with GoFundMe. Look at what happened with the banks. Look at what happened with the Ottawa City and the Ottawa City Police and the Prime Minister's office themselves. I mean, all this stuff got exposed. And so when I was arrested and I was in jail, um, I just did a lot of praying and I did a lot of meditation. And I just, re I just thought, it's thy will, not my will. You obviously have more work for me to do. And I was okay with that. I knew that I was going to be okay. I knew that I was strong enough to handle it. And I don't know if they thought I was going to be some meek little granny that was going to run away and hide and, and be afraid, but, but I'm not that person. And if it has to be me, then I'm okay with that. Yeah, no, you're definitely not that person. You've shown a great amount of resilience and courage and, uh, and anyone who's met you uh, knows that uh, right away. Um, you know, you're still charged with these offenses and you're uh, out on bail. How do you see this playing out? Uh, do you do you have the do you have hope that there will be justice? Well, I think there's always hope that I, that there <laughs> will be justice. Um, at this point, I don't really know anymore what to expect. I mean, I don't have any anxiety about my trial. I don't know what they're going to find at the end of the day, you know, if they find me guilty, I don't, I can't see them giving me any more jail time. And the, the crazy thing is that they're asking for 10 years. And if you look at Carla Homolka's case, I believe she was sentenced to 12. So, I, I mean, it's not even in the realm of reality. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm willing to take whatever, whatever. I'm not going to go down without a fight, that's for sure. And um, after the release of the Relo report, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do, Rupa. Why are they so afraid of you, Tamara? That's a really good question. <laughs> it might have something to do with the fact that we were able to raise $10 million twice in less than a month. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I think... Um, I, I believe we had a message of love and unity and respect. And I believe after so many years of being told that we should be ashamed, um, all this divisive politics and divisive rhetoric, uh, that's what I witnessed in the last few years was just being pulled apart in every direction. And I think fundamentally Canadians aren't like that we do believe in unity and we do believe in each other and we care about each other. And so I think that message that Trudeau was putting out there was not resonating with people. And our message was, and it's actually quite funny now as I watch him um, in his little interviews that he's actually taken a lot of our talking points and he's using them now. Um, if I hear him say that he's doing everything he can to keep Canadians safe or have their backs one more time, my head's going to explode. I ran into a lady at, uh, at the, a premiere of a documentary last weekend who literally sobbed on my shoulder, like heaving sobs, because she was about to kill herself. And we heard those stories, as I'm sure you did, every single day. Was he keeping them safe? The families that I met that were living in their cars after they lost their jobs because they refused to get a vaccination, was he keeping them safe? Who was he keeping safe? And so I believe that people are seeing through his insincerity. And then you have us coming 
And I mean, we had a great group of people that, that really wanted to help other people and make a difference. And our message resonated with them because I think that's fundamentally what Canada is all about. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, that's that's a great uh, point you 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 know you make when the prime minister say, says that he was keeping people safe. But what about all these other people? You know, you know, what about them? And I think that's a, a fair fair observation. Um, and I said it in my testimony. I believe if yeah. you're going to be the leader of a country, you don't get to pick and choose who you who you lead. You have to be able to listen to everybody and all sides and that's what's happening is he's turning a completely deaf ear on anyone that has any kind of concerns that that don't align with his personal views and that's yeah. not right yeah i mean you're prime minister of all 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 people not just the people who voted for you exactly yes yeah um so let's uh, jump to the next thing which was the public inquiry into the emergencies act you of course testified and watched your testimony and I followed the hearings quite closely. Do you do you think the inquiry in the end was fair, or was it more or less a rubber stamp to justify uh, Trudeau's use of emergency powers? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> At the beginning of that process, I was so optimistic. I felt like Rouleau was going to be very fair. I felt like he was really trying to take in. Um, all the testimony that he heard, uh, which was incredible. I mean, that was six weeks of, of testimony. Uh, but towards the end, as we started getting into more higher ups within the government, it started to become clear to me that there was some shenanigans going on. Um, for example, they would dump documents at, you know, hundreds of pages of documents at 10, 11 o'clock at night that the legal teams needed to review, to prepare for the witnesses the next day. Uh, the redactions, I mean, they were claiming parliamentary privilege and cabinet confidentiality on, on documents that had nothing to do with either. So there, there seemed to be a lot of shenanigans going on. And I know that our uh, our, our counsel, Brendan Miller, had, had filed motions to have the, these ruled on, to get these redactions lifted. And it was like he was dragging his feet and refusing to. And you saw the culmination of that when Brendan was escorted out of the courtroom because he had just had enough. You know, um, it, it was frustrating. It was frustrating to watch. Um, the other thing is, why on earth was former chief slowly on the stand for two full days and the prime minister had two hours? Krista Freeland, responsible for freezing the bank accounts of Canadians, was on the stand for two hours. I mean, a lot of things that happened didn't really make any sense there either. So by the time it was over, I was left feeling a little bit dejected and, and incredibly disappointed. And so when he released his report, I was not surprised. And I mean, that, re that report is tenuous at best. He contradicted himself so many times. I feel like he was given a mandate by the prime minister to make sure that it was justified. And that's what he did. Hmm. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, in order to invoke the Emergencies Act, there was four specific criteria that needed to be met. One of those four criteria and none of them were met. So if they can just go ahead and invoke it anyways, then that legislation isn't worth the paper that it's written on. Yeah. 
Well, um, yeah, I mean, it. Uh, I, you know, I've written about the Rouleau report. Um, I wrote it uh, for my National Post column recently. And I feel like, um, in my view at least, I think it's been damaging to uh, Canada's democracy. Um, you know, I've, and I've written quite extensively about the, you know, that Canada is probably one of the least democratic Western liberal democracies. We don't have anything like the checks and balances that we have in the U.S., uh, we have a prime minister who's very powerful. He appoints everybody. He appoints the senators. He appoints the Supreme Court, and 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 you know, with the largely compliant court system, uh, there's almost no accountability. And as the public inquiry showed us, uh, even if Rouleau uh, had found a fault with the Trudeau government invoking the Emergencies Act, there would have there would have been no legal repercussions. Um, and so my question to you is, have the events of the uh, have the events of the last year shaken your faith in 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 the strength of Canada's uh, democratic institutions? No, they've justified them. I've been concerned with the way that this country has been going for quite a long time, um, especially under especially under. Uh, Justin Trudeau. I mean, he came right out of the gate after the 2015 elections and started calling people racists. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, so this is how this is going to go. And he hasn't disappointed anytime. I mean, here's a prime example. During the convoy, his paid media, state media, was trying to allude to the fact that they felt that we were probably receiving foreign interference. Okay whether it be by what they call it, Russian actors or whoever. So we're being accused of foreign interference and being manipulated. The whole time this China thing has been going on, yes, there was foreign interference, but it had nothing to do with us. Absolutely nothing. And now if you question what's going on with this Chinese interference, you're a racist. I mean, at what point does this ridiculousness stop and, and the hard questions start getting answered? It's yeah. deflection. So I didn't have a lot of faith in the system before. Um, again, I've said to some people since I've got back from the inquiry that, you know, we sit out here in the West and there's a lot of disgruntled people with how, with the way the liberals have governed and, you know, they feel like it's a corrupt system. And when you're there and watching it firsthand in real time, like we did at the inquiry, it's almost overwhelming to have that kind of validation and actually know what you are dealing with. But there's hope, there's, I, I, I believe there's always hope. And, you know, as silly as it sounds, I still hold out hope that this man is going to come out one day and just admit that he's made some mistakes and, you know, beg for forgiveness for those mistakes and move on. But he but he doesn't. I mean, even in Rouleau's report where he was criticizing Trudeau on his how what he was calling us, that his behavior and his rhetoric wasn't helpful. He, Trudeau comes out with a statement and just stops short of apologizing. He didn't apologize. He just wished he would have chosen different words. Hmm. The fact of the matter is, we were not a fringe minority. We raised over $10 million two times, which tells me that there was a lot of support out there. I saw the people on the highways and on the overpasses in every town, even little back roads in the middle of nowhere. There was people parked and, you know, blowing off fireworks and waving flags. I mean, 
we weren't a fringe minority. Maybe we weren't the majority, but I mean, there was enough voices there that he should have stopped and listened. And he chose not to. Yeah, um, he, he def that definitely is something that he didn't do. And, uh, you know, since you brought up Western Canada, um, let's talk about Western Canada. Uh, it's pretty obvious that uh, Western alienation has probably been stronger uh, now than it's ever been. Um, and, uh, you know, and you are someone who is involved with the Maverick Party. Uh, what is your sense of the state of play right now? What What is happening as far as Western alienation is concerned? Well, I think there's still a, quite a strong sentiment out here um, to separate. <laughs> um, it's going to be really interesting to see that in the coming months, as you probably are aware, we have a provincial election coming up in 90 days. And so we'll be watching that very closely um, to see what happens. I know that... Um, Premier Smith has been getting some support for her Alberta Sovereignty Act uh, in some circles, obviously. So it's going to be interesting, but I do think that a lot of people, just like me, I mean, I was all for it. I, I, I just thought, let's get away from these clowns. We, you know, they're destroying my province. They're hurting families with the ridiculous legislation. I mean, we have the most ethical and environmentally friendly um, oil and gas industries in the entire world. It should be celebrated. But again, it comes back to him trying to make us feel ashamed, you know? And, that, and that's, I think, what people are sick and tired of, is, is being talked down to and spoken down to um, when it is one of the best industries in all of the world. Um, so it's going to be really interesting what the next few months are going to bring. I know very early on into the just the organization of the convoy was when I had my epiphany and I believe I've spoken to you about this I was sitting right at this table and we'd been sent home because of the Omicron variant so I was working from home so I had both of my monitors here on my table and I was talking with the Quebec team and I was blown away by the support that we had and it I, it, I just had this epiphany like this has all been a lie you know, they're just, they're the same. Fundamentally, we're all the same. And my desire to separate this country vanished. And I realized it's worth saving. I mean, maybe we should just separate from Ottawa, <laughs> right? Because the rest of the country, and, and for that matter, a lot of Ottawa residents that I met, beautiful, beautiful people. I mean, we had so much support on the ground there too. Um, so maybe we just need to separate from parliament. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, that was going to be one uh, my next question, actually. When, when did it occur to you that, um, um, you know, that, uh, that, you know, you didn't, you didn't want to, um, you didn't want to be a separatist anymore? Um, uh, you know, I was struck by how the Canadian flag was a unifying force throughout the Freedom Convoy and remains so to this day. And, uh, and the words that came out of your mouth and the, and the organizers, you know, the, 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 and everybody who showed up uh, to Ottawa to protest, uh, whether they were from Quebec or from Alberta or from where, wherever, um, they all carried the Canadian flag with them. They all stood for the country, and um, and and so did. So I'm I'm assuming the the, the, the organizing for the Freedom Convoy um, uh, helped change your mind about uh, about about uh, about separation. It absolutely did. Absolutely did. I have never been, after years of 
not feeling proud, I've never been more proud to be a Canadian than I was during that whole experience. And I still am. I mean, when I see a Canadian flag now on a vehicle or a, a semi truck going by, it almost moves me to tears because I just feel like mm-hmm. to my people, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was that was one of the great uh, things about the uh, protest, right? I mean, it uh, brought together people um, of all stripes, of all color, of all, you know, from all walks of life and they were united as one and uh and i'd never seen that show of unity um at least not as long as i've been here in canada which has been you know f- for a very very long time and uh and that uh that that was one of the most beautiful moments of the protest uh for me at least and i'm sure it was for a lot of people um so what's what's next for you tamara Do, are you uh, since you you know you've already um, kind of entered the political fray at, uh, through the Maverick Party, are you con- considering running for office? Is this something you're considering doing down the road once again? Well, you know I'm not going to rule it out. Um, I, I've never really wanted to be a politician, and I do feel like um, getting involved in politics tends to hobble you a little bit more. You know I, I witness it every day. You know a. Uh, 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 MLA or an MP gets elected and very quickly forgets what their constituents wants and then they have to toe the party line and I uh, you know I I was um, introduced at the legislature in Alberta yesterday and I was watching um, some of the opposition members behavior during question period and I was appalled I mean they're sitting there talking and laughing and giggling and I'm thinking Every one of your constituents should be sitting in this room and watching you. You are here to represent those people in your riding. And you're just sitting here texting and laughing and flipping your hair back and giggling. Like it was, it was incredibly immature. Mm. And I, I, I don't know if I could live in that world, Rupa, because I tend to be a little blunt um, in how I feel and I don't have time for ridiculousness. You know, one thing I took away too, you know, from the Rouleau report or from the from the POEC and watching question period yesterday and um, on a federal level, I turn it on and I just see people acting in theater, just hurling insults and it's nonsense. No, no question I've ever seen. I've never seen one question get answered in question period. Wouldn't you rather turn on your TV and see two sides of a house sitting at a table, working together to fix the problems in this country. You know, our, the homelessness problem is, is deplorable. The, the, the drug problem is terrible. You know, I fly into Ottawa for the inquiry and, and they're in the middle of a municipal election and it's all over the front page, um, funding to put tampons in the men's bathroom. Well, that's great. Millions and millions of dollars to put tampons in the men's bathroom. Have they even taken a walk on their own streets? Do they even see what's going on out there? Because I was in jail with some of those people. They need help. They need help. They're, they don't need tampons in the men's bathroom. And so they're just so out of touch. And I, I just can't see myself lasting in that kind of an environment for any length of time before I would just have enough and walk away. So I'm not sure um, what's next for me. I am obviously thinking that through very carefully. 
uh, I, I definitely need to deal with all these criminal charges that are against me before I can really do too much, um, you know, by way of um, some things that I'd like to do. But, you know, um, I do have a book coming out. Um, we, we've yeah. kind of got that wrapped up. So that'll be coming out hopefully in the next few weeks. And we'll see what happens from there. Um, I'm going to be watching the provincial election very closely now. Um, it's 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 go time. So now is the time when you're going to see the politicians that are actually going to stand up and stick by their principles or if they're going to cave because they don't want to upset anyone on any side of the spectrum. So we'll see. It's yeah. going to get interesting. For sure. And now that the cat is out of the back, uh, bag, you mentioned that you you have a book coming out. Can you tell us a little bit about your book? Uh, I'm assuming it's about the Freedom Convoy. Yes, it, it just details, it details, you know, my experience from the convoy. Um, it, it was really hard to write because there's so much to this story. You know, I, I, I'm thinking to try and squeeze it into, you know, 200 pages or less when really it's like a Lord of the Rings style <laughs> story. You know, there's so many components from mm -hmm. the early stages and the organization to the actual convoy out there to what happened when we got there and the interpersonal relationships and how these people worked with that. So uh, it's a massive, massive story to tell. And um, uh, it's called Hold the Line, uh, my story from the heart of the Freedom Convoy. And it's 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 um, my experiences from there and how I saw things. And I'm really excited for it to get out because it, I think it's a really great story. And, you know, those of us that were there at the beginning, um, um, we all have a story to tell, you know, so and we were kind of in the heart of it all. So I think the title is is quite fitting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to reading the book when it's out. And I'm sure, um, um, you know, our, our listeners and viewers uh, are also very eager to get their hands on the book. And, um, and, and tomorrow, I mean, I'm, I'm afraid I have to leave it there. But, but there's so much more to talk about, but I hope that means you'll be back on the show again soon. We'll do this again anytime. It's been a real privilege to have you uh, on my show. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and I wish you all the best and, uh, and I hope you'll be back again soon. I hope so too. Thanks, thanks so much, Rufa. Have a great day. Bye.